Welcome to the Fertile Womb Podcast. My name is Holly, and I'm the owner of Rosebud Wellness, which is a women's holistic health practice in Southern California. In my practice, I use acupuncture, yoni steaming, abdominal massage, and the fertility awareness method to support women on their conception journey. In this podcast, I will be sharing about some of the practices and tools that I use in my practice, and also will be interviewing women about their own personal fertility journey, as well as other professionals in the fertility space. Thanks so much for listening. Please enjoy. If you have been considering learning the fertility awareness method, but you're sort of on the fence about whether or not you have enough time or money to fully commit to learning the method once and for all, then I have just the offering for you. So I've recently released my holistic fertility awareness method self-study course. And in this course, there are five different modules and you can work through them at your own pace. And it is also extremely affordable. It's only $197, or you can also use the payment plan option for $77 in three months. So you pay $77 each month for three months. And then I also have a risk-free guarantee. So if you go through all of the material in the course, you implement all of the suggestions, all of the resources that I provide you with, and you're still not satisfied with your results, then you will get all of your money back, no questions asked. So there's really nothing to lose, and there is a link to register for the course in the show notes. But if you can't find it for some reason, definitely reach out to me. Also reach out to me if you have some other questions, if you want to know a little bit more about it, um, at holly at rosebudwellness.com, or you can find me on Instagram at rosebud underscore wellness. And so just to share a little bit about what is in the course, We go through the cascade of hormones and how the menstrual cycle works. So I break down all the different phases and exactly what's happening with your hormones in each of those phases. And then we get into the fertility awareness method. So what it is, the specific style that I have been trained in and teach. So then I share with you how to track and chart your basal body temperature, cervical mucus, cervical position. I go through the app that I recommend using every single detail about what you are recording in your app. There is a pretty extensive cervical mucus uh, charting key, for lack of a better word, where there are lots of different types of cervical mucus, and you will no longer be confused about how exactly to document what you are seeing, because there is a separate module for that. Um, And then we will also be getting into the applications of the fertility awareness method. And the bulk of it really is on conception. So there are a lot of different modules about egg quality, sperm quality, optimal nutrition for cycles, and then also a separate one for fertility in particular, timing sex, making sure that your cycle meets all the optimal parameters so that you are optimizing your chances of conception. And then there is a birth control module, which is really important, especially for people that are coming off of hormonal birth control. Now that I mentioned that, there is a module about coming off of hormonal birth control as well. So ways to support your body, how to do it sort of slowly and effectively. And then also you can start applying fertility awareness for pregnancy prevention if you're not quite ready to get pregnant just yet, but you want to transition off of birth control first and then take a little bit of time 
to recuperate, rejuvenate your body before you start actively trying to conceive, which is what I recommend for pretty much all of the people that I work with. And so that is what is included in the course. And there is also a bonus call with me. So you get a one-on-one call with me. So you can use that at any time. You could use it at the beginning when you first register, if you just kind of want to pick my brain about a few things, or you can potentially use it, you know, after you've gone through a few things and you have some questions or even at the end. So once you have accumulated some charts, if you want me to do some chart reviews, and then you can always add on additional sessions if you're wanting some more one-on-one support as well. So check out the link to register in the show notes of this episode. All right. Welcome back everyone to the Fertile Womb Podcast. I am very excited to be here today with my first ever male guest on my podcast. I think I told you that when we talked before. Um, but I watched a, a class for, it was under these, there's these continuing education classes that acupuncturists have to take. And there was one of them that was just kind of an introductory thing that I came across with Keith. So I was really excited, um, that he was open to chatting with me directly. So I will be interviewing Keith Bell today. He's a doctor of acupuncture and Chinese medicine. And he's also an associate producer and expert consultant for the documentary, uh, The Business of Birth Control. So I didn't even know that when I first reached out to him um, that he was involved in that documentary, which I watched a while ago. I don't remember the exact year that it it came out, but I'm pretty sure I I saw it pretty right away. Yep, about a year and a half ago. A year and a half ago? Yeah. I feel, wow, it feels like so much longer ago than that. I guess a lot is going on. Um, so Keith, first of all, welcome to you and thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Holly. It's great to be here and I'm honored to be the first cisgendered male guest. Love it. Even male guest all the way around. Really? Yeah. Um, okay. So I would love for you to start out on like, how can we begin? Hmm. I think let's first talk about some of the side effects of birth control. So I just want to say before we begin that my intention in all of the work that I do, and especially when I'm talking about hormonal contraceptives or the birth control pill, my intention is never to prevent women from accessing ways to prevent pregnancy if they don't want to be pregnant. And I'm pretty sure that you feel that way also. My intention is for women to be informed Mm -hmm. so that they can make decisions about what they will do for pregnancy prevention and also to know that there are other options for pregnancy prevention that do not involve synthetic hormones. Anyway, with all with that disclaimer out of the way, um, if you could talk about some of the side effects that you've seen in your work and you can talk about them you know, in terms of like Western medicine, maybe things that people would be familiar with, or you can also weave in some Chinese medicine stuff. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's a delicate balance, like using Chinese medicine terms and not making things too confusing. But I'm assuming that you kind of know how to do that at that point. Yeah, you know what, that's one of the things that I teach my Chinese medicine students is how to do translational medicine that's what it's called 
and using Chinese medicine terms to make sense for a conventional Western therapist. So, well, I also want to say, yes, I have the same intention. We can't have reproductive freedom if we don't have informed consent or informed choice. And that's the whole reason that we ended up making this movie, The Business of Birth Control, because we realized that people weren't given the whole picture. And we are not anti-birth control. We're not anti-hormonal contraceptives. I'm not anti-synthetic hormones because they do have their place in the treatment of disease. Um, and they do have their place when dealing with infertility and cancer treatments and things like that. But what we did find out is the number of people who are on synthetic hormonal birth control, um, they did not have, they didn't have all the information to make a really have reproductive freedom and make uh, an informed decision, an informed choice. So that's why we really intended on making this film. Now, your question was about side effects. I'll tell you the reason that I got involved with this film, I was making another film with Ricky and Abby. So Ricky Lake and Abby Epstein are the associate producer, well, the executive producer and director of these films. The Business of Being Born was one that a lot of people have seen. The Business of Birth Control is the one that's out now. We also did one called We the People. And We the People was about pediatric brain cancer and medical marijuana. And so I was meeting with Ricky and Abby on this film that we were working on when this book dropped into Abby's lap. And it was called Sweetening the Pill by Holly Gregg Small, Spall. Sorry. Um, Sweetening the Pill. And they said, let's make a movie about this. And I looked at Abby and I said, well, you realize this, we're having, we're having brunch in the East Village. And I said, you realize that um, the birth control pill can change who you're attracted to. So it can make you attracted to a person that you normally wouldn't be attracted to. This is both sexually and um, as a mate. And Abby started crying. And so I just, just started vomiting all of these side effects of birth control pill that I've seen in my clinical practice, including the attraction. I had patients go off the birth control pill in order to have children and they were no longer attracted to them to their mate. I've had same sex couples go on hormones for um, reproductive medicine and they change, they stopped being attracted to their mate. And I was seeing it over and over. And then I realized I found the studies that it changes your pheromones. It changes how you perceive smell, how you perceive the sound of your voice, and these things that are what make us attracted to another person. So I started doing research into that, and this was back in the early 2000s, and there was no research. So, I mean, at the time, we will tell you that over 100 million people are put on these hormones without without being educated on how they change you holistically. So it changes you physically, mentally, emotionally, and dare I say spiritually for whatever that means. But there's some great studies that show that it affects how compassionate we are, certain hormones do. And so out of these 100 million women worldwide on these hormones, there were less than 44,000 research publications and none none on long-term usage of the birth control pill. And so we know, and you know, that we're getting patients who are put on a synthetic contraceptive or hormone when they start their period. So this can be at age 11, 
12, 14, and they're not coming off of them until they're 30 years old or 32 or 35 when they want to have children. So now we have a 20 plus year, um, 20 plus years of being on this chemical, this medication, and there were no studies on the long-term effects of it. Now there are studies and we're seeing over and over, but again, you asked about side effects and the side effects of the birth control pill from a Chinese medicine perspective is it can affect our essence. So it can dampen our reproductive gene from the Chinese medicine perspective. And it can also um, add heat into the liver depending on which hormone we're doing. So what that means is um, it can cause mood changes. It can cause depression. It can cause anxiety. It can cause stroke and blood clots, which we're fully aware of, and that's in the medical literature. It can cause digestive disorders. One of the main signs and symptoms I see of um, I, the intrauterine devices where I'm losing my, my thought, what do we call those? IUD. IUD, thank you. Well, that's what the, the IUD is these progesterone-based IUDs you know, progesterone is conjugated and utilized in the liver along with estrogens, but also there's a fourth stage in the small intestine. So a lot of times with progesterone-based IUDs, we start seeing things like um, SIBO, small intestine bacterial overgrowth. We start seeing IBS, irritable bowel disease. And I started noticing that people were coming into me in their 20s with being diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome and it just came out of nowhere. And we look back and three months earlier, they started, they got an IUD. And I was like, well, there may be a correlation between the IUD and your um, irritable bowel disease. And so we started removing them and the patients were getting better. So there are all kinds of side effects. I hope I asked, answered your question. You totally did. Um, and one of the things, yeah, I mean, I am one of those women that was put on birth control. I wasn't, I started my period kind of late and then I went on when I was 15 and was on it for almost nine years when I, uh, started acupuncture school. Right. And what I remember them talking about in acupuncture school, you know, like when you're in your first year, your eyes are wide and you're just kind of like holy shit, like, what is all of this stuff? And just, like, memorizing all of this whole different language, literally. And at the time, my only take-home was it causes stagnation. So, like, liver cheese stagnation is one of the things we, we love to talk about. And I would say spleen chi deficiency, too, which is kind of like what you're talking about with the and we can talk about it in Western or Eastern terms, but it's essentially it's like spleen chi deficiency could be correlated to disrupting the gut microbiome and disrupting the lining and causing these like SIBO or IBS type symptoms. Liver chi stagnation could be related to what you're talking about. Yeah, like the depression or mood issues and things like that. And I really was not connecting any of the symptoms. So at the time I was 24. I had been on birth control for nine years and I was not connecting any of my life experiences to having been on birth control. I had excruciating pain with sex. 
my period, my withdrawal belief was like hardly ever there. I had crazy mood swings, very depressed, crying for no reason. I never made side effects of the pill. Yeah. I never made any connection to birth control. And I would go to the doctor, especially I would say the pain with sex was probably the most, um, it's kind of funny because I thought that the mood stuff was just my personality. You know, I just thought I was like, oh, I'm just like a depressed kind of um, like unhappy person. <laughs> and the the pain with sex, I would, that was something that was really concerning to me. And I would go to the doctor periodically and ask about that. And no one ever said anything about any of the symptoms that I was experiencing could potentially be related to birth control. And well, I would well switch. documented today. It's well yeah. documented. Well, this was, yeah, this was like, you know, early 2000s, probably. And so just to say that, yeah, I mean, I think that's a really common experience for women. And I feel really lucky that I went to acupuncture school because nobody ever said anything about looking to your period as a vital sign. That was my first introduction to that was like, oh, these Chinese medicine practitioners, they're like asking about the color of the blood and the consistency and, you know, how frequently you're getting. And I'm like, I haven't had a period. In, and I didn't know that it was just a withdrawal bleed and it wasn't actually a period. I didn't know how birth control even works. So right. I, I think that's like one of my greatest passions in life is that women, if they're going to take hormonal contraceptives, understand the things to look out for. Like if somebody, if my doctor had said to me, like, if you start crying for no reason or sex is really painful for you, it could be because it reduces the diameter of your vagina or because it shrinks your clitoris or dries up your lubrication. <laughs> like maybe you don't need to just drink a glass of wine and relax. Maybe you need to stop taking birth control. Well, you know, you just said several things that no one talks about. I mean, yeah. when in school do we learn what a clitoris is? Mm -hmm. You know, most of our job right now is educating patients on body literacy. Mm -hmm. I mean, the majority of the patients who come to me to get pregnant, the first thing we have to do is educate them on how to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, from Chinese medicine perspective, like you said, every, we look at everything that you put in your body and everything that comes out of your body, and it tells how the body processes work. So, mm -hmm. you know, when we look at urine, when we look at poop, when we look at menstrual blood, it's all telling you what the body is doing or not doing and giving you a clue. And it's not normal to have period pain. And it's not, I mean, it is, it is normal. Now it's been normalized to have period pain and clotting and irregular cycles, but that's not the way a, a healthy period should be, which you know. And um, yes, from a Chinese medicine perspective, you know, these hormones do so much and on a basic level, the estrogens are, are very yin, they're very cooling all the way to cold because the different versions of estrogens in the different synthetic hormonal contraceptives and the different versions of progestogens and progestogens tend to be very hot in nature. And so when you have this combination, they all go through the liver and they all damage liver enzymes and it's those liver enzymes that utilize these hormones and into a way that your body can utilize them and excrete the harmful hormones. But when that stops working, 
that's liver cheese stagnation. You know, that is translational, conventional medicine, liver cheese stagnation. And then from a Chinese medicine perspective, if it stays stagnant, it can overact on the spleen and stomach, you know? And so that is, again, liver cheese stagnation now affecting the gut. And so now you have um, loose stools, diarrhea, you're not absorbing uh, nutrients. Or if it's progestogens, which are hot, then you start getting that damp heat in the liver and gallbladder that we talk about from a Chinese medicine perspective, which is an inflammatory response. And so people now have irritable bowel syndrome, irritable bowel disease, or things like that. So, you know, what Chinese medicine has said forever, we can now explain now that we know how these hormones are utilized in the body, both your own endogenous natural hormones and the, the synthetic hormones that people are using. The synthetic hormones are just simply too strong for a lot of people to break down and use. And so the body starts storing them. And where what does it do? do? It, starts, it starts putting on adipose tissue and fat because we don't want it to go to the organs. So now people are getting weight gain and it's of fat buildup. So there's this whole cascade of side effects, again, from physical, mental, and emotional. Do you um, have any thoughts about the copper IUD? Um, you know, some people, it's, people have a, they do really well on it, but then some people have allergies to metal. Mm -hmm. And so I've seen good results from it because it's a safer option for some people, but then some people are not tolerant of metal. Mm -hmm. And so they start getting an inflammatory response or start developing uh, allergies or immune system, overactive immune system, which can eventually lead to autoimmune diseases. Some people are just sensitive to anything that you put in the body, any foreign object. And so as you said, patients have to be know what to look for you know here's we're going to put this copper iud in and over the next three months do you have any change in digestion are you having any allergies any headaches any new signs and symptoms that may be a result of a foreign object being in your body well one other thing that i and i'm not an expert about this so look this up if you're interested but one of the things that i've heard about the copper, the presence of copper can also disrupt your overall mineral balance. And that can also impact your hormone balance too. And the reason that I bring that up is because when I was in acupuncture school, that was like the gold standard, you know, it was like, everybody needs to get a copper IUD. We're not doing hormonal contraceptives anymore. Like everybody's going to get the IUD. Oh, wow. And I personally never did because, you know, there was something about like, it looks like a, a sword to me or it just looks scary. Like, I don't oh. want to put that in my cervix. That was, it literally was just like fear of why I did not want to do that myself. But I definitely, especially earlier on in my practice, I recommended it a lot because I just saw the side effects of the other hormonal contraceptive methods that I was like, here's this other thing. Um, and eventually I'm going to transition into talking about 
yeah, other options, other non device, non hormonal options. But I, I, I want to give a little bit more space for you to share about if there's anything else you want to talk about, about side effects. Otherwise, I would love to talk about, I mean, we've talked about long-term pill use, which I think there's a number of different ways you can define that. So maybe you can talk about like how you would def define what long-term is, like where does it begin when it becomes long-term? And then also impacts on fertility, because one of the things that doctors will say is like, okay, you're going to be on this hormonal birth control or IUD or shot or whatever, and then you're going to stop taking it. I actually just did an interview right before we got on this call, and she was saying that her doctor told her, just stop taking birth control and start trying to get pregnant the next month. So you and I both know that's not how it works, but I, I wonder if you have seen in your practice or in the research, like kind of what's most typical for women's fertility returning in terms of like a time frame or things that they can support themselves to help to kind of facilitate their fertility returning? Well, the research is really not out there. Mm -hmm. I can tell you from working, I've worked in integrated fertility now for over 20 years with a lot of fertility clinics. And most of the doctors are just going to say exactly what you said. You go off the pill and things should be back to normal within three months or a month. So it just depends on who it is. But now they're saying in about three months, things will be returned back to normal. So there really is no research on long-term usage of hormonal contraceptives. Um, and the question of what is long-term usage is a big debatable question that's out there right now. So you have to remember, this is the very first pill ever given to a healthy person. So before the oral contraceptive pill, there was never a pill taken on a daily basis for a healthy person to take. And so, so what we do know, here's what we know, is that when we're looking at a woman's reproductive health returning to normal, the biggest indicator is the age in which the person started the pills. So what we're seeing, if you started at a younger and younger and younger age, so again, at one point, a lot of people were going on the pill at age 16, or at one point it was 18, then 16, then it seemed 14, and now it's like 11. And so the brain, you know, the brain is not developed until the 20s, but until the person is in their 20s, fully developed. So what we're seeing is, again, the earlier that you start doing the synthetic hormones, the harder it can be to return to normal. Now, what is long-term usage? I would say now, I would five years, but definitely 20 years. You know, again, we're having people, it's not uncommon for a person to come to me at age 34 and they started the oral contraceptive pill at age 14. 20 years, that's most of their life. That's long term. I mean, if you've taken a medication half of your life or more than half of your life, that's 
that's definitely long-term usage. So I have seen people return to normal, quote, after going off the pill in a month. But I also, in our practice, because we're dealing with infertility, I see a lot of people that have post-pill syndrome. So they've been overly suppressed for most of their life or more than half of their life. And they come off the pill and things just don't wake up two years later, three years later. And you know that there are things that you can do to wake that up, acupuncture being one, Chinese herbs, nutrition, make sure you're right on the right supplements to get that period to return. But basically, depending on which hormone, which form of estrogen, which form of progesterone they were using, the age and what they did started using it, any health cofactors, um, their race, it's, it all plays into a into how their body is synthesizing those hormones and when their body is going to return to normal. So there is no really one answer. Yeah, okay. that's helpful. I mean, I, what I have observed is that there, yeah, if you are doing things to facilitate the return of your fertility, it does seem to happen more quickly. And from, so my teacher, my fertility awareness teacher, Lisa Hendrickson Jack, she was one of the people that was in the yeah, business of birth control. And what I've learned from her is that it can take up to 12 to 18 months for cycle parameters to be optimal. Well, yeah, optimal is very different than from yeah. like just being able to get pregnant. Yeah. Right. Yes. That's, I, yes. Indeed. Um, and, you know, it really depends on, again, too, on the lifestyle of the person that's taking the medication. As with any medication, there's nutrient depletions. And mm -hmm. so if the person is aware of that and they're supplementing with the nutrients that are being depleted, they're going to recover, quote, way faster than a person who has no idea about these nutrient depletions. And so you're starting uh, from ground zero. And mm -hmm. also you have to look at was that pill masking something that was going on with the reproductive cycle anyway? I, I always ask patients, you know, did you have a normal period before you went on these hormonal birth controls? Because if you did, then we know you can go back to a normal baseline. But if you've been off or dysregulated your entire life and you used a medication to mask those signs and symptoms, when you come off, you're going to go back to where you were, or you may be even worse. And so this is why it's very difficult to study because the different people are going to utilize these, these medications in different ways. And you kind of have to categorize the people so you can study, well, this subset of people responded this way to this hormone, and this subset responded another way. And you need to know that because if you just group everybody into one pool, then the results are really going to be askew because you may grab 40 people who had a normal, healthy cycle, and they may have started the birth control at age 18 to 20 because they were getting in a relationship. They're going to act very differently than an undeveloped 11-year-old, 12-year-old, 14-year-old 
who started a synthetic hormone and now they've been taking it a lot longer. Um, so if you're, if you're testing healthy people, you're going to get better results at their fertility and their cycle returning to normal. Does yeah, that, 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 yeah, that totally, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that the, <clears throat> I mean, I think that fertility awareness and preconception planning, which is something I also want to ask you about that. I mean, my favorite client ever, like if I could pick what my favorite scenario is, is the woman who maybe wants to get pregnant in a year or two is transitioning off of birth control and has some time to transition off and then is working on her nutrition, her lifestyle, her sleep. She's taking supplements and her cycle is returning to optimal parameters, which I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. I talk about that a lot on the podcast. So, um, and if you're interested, reach out and I'll tell you more, but returning back to optimal parameters. And then, you know, we really start getting into like the timing of sex at the right, you know, when she's producing cervical mucus and maybe we end up getting her partner's sperm checked out if that, you know, if things aren't working after a few months or something, like three and to six months crazy. or something. You know, that's the first thing I do is I order a semen analysis when I get a new patient in because I'm like, well, you know what? We have to do preconception planning for the partner also because you know, I love that you're saying this, actually, because that's a good point. I actually this has been maybe I even mentioned this to you when we chatted um, a few weeks ago, but I, I have been so focused on women's health. Mm -hmm. that I, I have tended to kind of like miss the other half of the equation. Uh, you know, I would sort of just be like, okay, well, we let's look at his sperm or like maybe you could get him to come in. And usually they'd be like, oh, he doesn't want to come or whatever. Um, and I never pressed the issue because I guess my, and even right now, I'm actually working with a conception client that I... I don't think she has been tracking her cycle correctly yet. And she's just started making some lifestyle. She's been a long-term vegetarian. And I think that's part of her cycle issue is, is tread that. Tread lightly, dear. Tread lightly. I'm an ex-vegetarian. So I feel pretty well-versed <laughs> in being able to have the conversation with people about that. And actually... I just did an experiment on myself because I would love to be a vegetarian. I don't particularly care for eating meat, but I have seen it make a huge difference in my cycle parameters. So I did an experiment this month and I was not really eating meat. I would, I was having cheese and eggs and, you know, like anything goes, but I just kind of was eating meat intermittently sort of here and there. And I did not ovulate until day 30. So that's how it personally affects me. I'm always experimenting on myself because I want to feel like the things that I'm recommending really matter and it really makes a difference. And so for my body, it's a, it, and I have, I have personally worked with a lot of people that want to be vegetarians, but are kind of like interested, are open to incorporating me. I think I attract that because I am that 
Right. So, um, and I've just seen such amazing things with even incorporating liver capsules, uh, desiccated liver capsules. Right. So anyway, that's a, that's a side story, but I think that her, I can see from her side of the equation and because she is my client, I'm making recommendations for her and I'm sort of waiting for to send her down the rabbit hole of go get a semen analysis, but but why not? Why not go get that right now? Right? Yeah. So cool. I that will maybe change her life. So thank you for sharing that. You start with that. Yeah. I do, and um, I do. Everyone that comes in because if you're committed to making these lifestyle changes, and one, there's an assumption that there's something wrong with suggesting individual because mm -hmm. they're not getting pregnant. I don't want to do all of this work. And then we find out there's also a male factor mm -hmm. when we can find out in the beginning and they can work together um, for a, an optimal lifestyle, op optimal parameters, because it's just it can take, you know, three months to a year if there's something going on for male factor. And so if you're going to take that year, so you, you, un you unpacked a lot in what you just said. So, you know, preconception planning basically starts two years. A year before getting pregnant is pre-pregnancy planning. So preconception planning, I was taught, should start the moment that you seriously think you want to have a child. So if that's at age 16 and you know you want to be a mother or a father, that's when preconception planning begins. Mm. But when you look at the definitions of preconception planning, it's longer than a year. At a year mark, that's pre-pregnancy planning. And so at that preconception stage, that's when you want to look at everything from your nutrition and lifestyle to finances. Can you even afford to have a child? How is your life going to change when you have a child? And you start organizing your life as if you're going to have this child, everything from the home that you build, the job that you have, your finances, looking for schools, education, and your physical body. And that takes longer than a year if you really want to do it optimally. Yeah, that that really, that's such a good point. So when somebody calls to... Uh, Okay, so so say somebody calls you up. I'm I'm assuming, but correct me if I'm wrong, that it's the woman, and she says I, you know, heard about acupuncture can be supportive of my fertility. Can I schedule an appointment? Mm -hmm. Do you suggest for both her and the partner to to schedule appointments together? Like they both get acupuncture, they're both prescribed an herbal formula. Or can you just talk about how you sort of structure your treatments for people? I, okay, I used to do that. I don't do that anymore. Basically, the majority of the patients that I see are referred to me, either mm -hmm. by another patient or their physician or one of the fertility clinics. If they come from the fertility clinic, we know what's going on. So if there's male factor, the male calls and comes in um, along with the, the partner who is trying to conceive. So if there's something going on female, something going on male, they both come. They don't come at the same time, sometimes they do. But every patient that I see, 
I usually schedule them for an initial evaluation and for follow-up. So I'm with them for a month. And during that month, we're coming up with a plan. I don't put the pressure on myself to come up with a plan in one day. It's basically, I wanna see how they're responding to the acupuncture. I wanna see what they're willing to do. You know, Are you willing to change your diet? Are you willing to make lifestyle changes, exercise, um, whatever. And then we collect the information over the month and we come up with a treatment plan. Now it's gonna be dependent upon whether the person wants to conceive naturally or they wanna utilize assisted reproductive technology. And if they want to utilize assisted reproductive technology, it depends on what their plan is with the um, fertility clinic. But a lot of times, I have, I'm very supported by the conventional medicine groups here in Richmond. I'm in Richmond, Virginia. And so they will tell patients, you know, you're going to go over now and you're going to work with Keith probably for three months or so, and then you're going to come back and see us depending on the age, depending on what's going on. Um, it is very individualized, but everyone I generally see for the first month and we come up with a, with a treatment plan that varies, that's personalized for them. But I do see a fair amount of men for um, sperm parameter issues. I mean, it's in the headlines everywhere. Sperm rates are decreasing. We're seeing morphology, which is the shape of the sperm at 0% or 1%. Um, the docs like to see it at 4%. Um, we're seeing fragmentation rates. So there's a lot going on with sperm in the world that, that needs to be fixed. So we address that too. Yeah, are there some things you see? I'm sure that especially with Chinese medicine, it depends on the diagnostic pattern of what you're working with, with each individual man, but are there some things you could just kind of outline that you see really most commonly that men are sort of, whether it's lifestyle or dietary situations, that seems to kind of be a big issue? Yeah, desk job, sitting down all day and overheating the testicles. Mm -hmm. um, and so from a child- What can they do about that? Because that's their job. Well, there's a product out there called Snowballs. Oh! Sorry, Snowballs, which are just kind of like little ice packs in specialized underwear. Yeah. So they can do, they can do ice packs um, for like 15 minutes twice a day. They can get standing desks, um, make sure they get up and walk around throughout the day. Don't add any saunas or hot baths to their routine. Um, but just... These sitting jobs, especially, you know, I always look to see if the man's thighs touch. So if their thighs are touching and they're sitting down all day, their sperm is very reactive to temperature. And mm -hmm. so you always want to look at temperature, medications and drugs, and um, radiation. Those are three big things that can contribute to poor sperm parameters. And so that's what we look at. Um, I hope I answered your question. You sure did. And I guess one of the other things, yeah, I guess I'm trying to think of how to word it, but part of the work as an acupuncturist is, you know, prescribing Chinese 
herbs and doing the acupuncture to people and the other treatment modalities that we do as part of an acupuncture session. But the other part of it is education and encouragement, sort of like coaching um, clients to do things differently. So are there ever times when you know that the main issue, and I say this as maybe I'll just, I'll say that I was receiving acupuncture to regulate my cycle or to get my period back for many, many, many years. And the reason I wasn't getting a period is because I was exercising three times a day and not eating. So there's nothing that any acupuncture can do for that. I just needed to eat more and sit down for a minute. So I, I will say that there, I guess I'm always kind of wanting to assess where like encouragement and empowerment ends and where blaming begins, like not wanting the client to feel like, well, if you would just stop smoking on your vape, then your sperm would be fine. But also making it clear that like, if this doesn't change, there's really not much more I can do. So it, does that ever happen to you? Or do you feel like most of the time when people get to your clinic, they're like really motivated? No, you know, it happens every day. It's like you said, every day we're educating patients on how to be optimal. So one of the places I start is exactly what you what you have said earlier. I would tell people there is a normal kind of parameter on these tests. It can be blood tests, semen analysis, whatever, but there's also optimal. Mm -hmm. And you start talking about diet and exercise and sleep. I will talk about a normal, healthy diet. And I'll talk about a medicinal diet. And so they're two different things. And mm -hmm. a lot of times when we're putting people on acupuncture and herbs and dietary protocols, that's medicinal. We have a goal that we need to achieve. And so sometimes it's going to be an imbalance. Some people are going to need a paleo diet. Some people are going to need a low-carb diet. Some people are going to need a vegetarian diet, depending on where they are. And I explained to them, this is not for the rest of your life. We can go to a balanced state at some point, but right now we're out of balance and we need to do something that may seem extreme to you or counterintuitive to you or go against the way that you live your life. But we're trying to get you into a state where you're going to be optimally fertile. Like you said about the body mass index, you know, we need 18% body fat at least to be mm -hmm. healthy for a good, nice period and inception. And so it, sometimes when you put, that's, how do I want to say this? Sometimes when you use science and you can use statistics, then it leaves the blame out. And you just say, this is where you are. This is what we need to achieve. This is what I need you to do for now. I'm not saying do that for the rest of your life, but for now, because some of the hardest people to treat are the people who are extremely healthy. Mm -hmm. you, know, you get people who do extreme sports, they're very athletic, um, they're on this restricted regimented diet that they believe is, is very healthy, and it is very healthy, but it may not be the place to conceive. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's such a good point. And I, I really appreciate I wrote that down medicinal diet, because that's very much what it is. Like, for example, in hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is, you know, technically what I was experiencing, and many women go to fertility treatments because they have hypothalamic amenorrhea, and they don't want to gain weight or eat more food. So they just kind of like bypass that whole part. And you can have children that way. And to each their own. So whatever. But you also, but I guess my message is more for the people that actually do, if you want to try to get your period back naturally and you're experiencing hypothalamic amenorrhea, there is a medicinal diet. And in eating disorder recovery, the medicinal diet for some people is like way more food than you would ever think a human mm. would need to eat. But it's just for that period of time to save your life. And it's not always that extreme. And I also appreciate what you're saying that like, you know, there's all these documentaries out there about like food and, and, you know, like there's one that comes to mind where I can't remember exactly what was happening, but he was like eating the standard American diets, like meat and potatoes and whatever and chips and stuff like that. And then he started just like drinking juice and he was so much healthier. And it's like, if you're so out of balance in one way, and then you go, like you kind of pendulum swing to the other side. Yeah. You're going to feel a lot better, but is that appropriate for the woman that has amenorrhea because she's not eating enough, getting enough nutrition? Like it's, it depends on the constitution of the person, their diagnostic pattern in that moment of like what their medicinal diet or what herbs they need or what kind of acupuncture they need. So I, yeah, I think that it can be tempting for women and men maybe too, to like Google what's good for fertility. And right. it's kind of like, it depends, right? So, yeah. but that doesn't, that's not easy to write in like one little blog post about like that it's a lot more complex than right. That. Well, and you know what? I'll tell you two motivating factors that I've seen work clinically. One is money. When you mm -hmm. talked about some people don't want to make the changes, so they're just going to go to a fertility clinic and they're going to take uh, medications and go the assisted reproductive technology route. It's very expensive. So when you sit down with the patient and say, look, this can be treated naturally and it will take some time, but here's how much it will cost you. You can go to a fertility clinic and here's how much it's going to cost you. Big difference when you're paying thirty to $50,000 for treatment versus, I don't know, 3000 in a year or whatever, but way less. And the other thing that I found works for the people who, they may not make changes for themselves, but they will make changes for their grandkids. And I say that because sometimes they won't even make changes for their kids. But when you explain to a woman that her health is going to be reflected in her grandchild's health so that when she's pregnant, her daughter is going to be inside of her along with the seed cells that are going to become her grandchildren, people will change for their grandkids, I find out. Mm -hmm. And so just having that conversation, one, lets them see that it's not just about them, but future generations, their child and their grandchild. And so you can really look back at the health of the maternal grandmother, and that's going to be reflective of your health. And so when I explain that to a lot of patients who really may not want to change something, they start opening up, well, maybe I need to change for future generations. 
Yeah, that's, that's a really, um, I'm going to have to use that. <laughs> An interesting, a, a really useful motivator. Yeah, for generations. Really yeah. I'm like thinking about my own daughter too. And that, wow, it's like my grandchild was also in my belly. It's really cool. Um, one other thing that I wanted to ask you is, so one of the, the things that I'm sort of met with frequently is that I personally use the fertility awareness method for pregnancy prevention. Mm -hmm. And that is a big part of the work that I do. And there are some women that are really interested in that. But I find that, you know, within my personal life, there's always, there are some barriers for women to use the, using the fertility awareness method and also condom use, like that men are resistant to that. And it, it, I feel a little bit stuck between a rock and a hard place sometimes. And I, I'm, I'm not sure that you're, you're met with this as much as I am because you're not Yeah. Okay. So anyway, if you have any comment about, so like, for example, say a woman comes to you for fertility, she gets pregnant, she goes through that pregnancy and then what does she do? Right. Because it's like you, maybe she's been educated on all of the side effects of birth control and how it's really not the best thing to be on for long-term use but she doesn't want to get pregnant right away. Maybe she only wanted to have one kid, right. you know, and what does she do now? Like that's sort of more where I'm trying to, I love working with fertility and I also like to plant the seeds when I'm working with a fertility client of like, just so you know, eventually you're going to be postpartum and you're right. going to, they're going to ask you at your six week checkup, what you're going to use for birth control and you're going to have to make a decision. Right. And it's not that long. I mean, pregnancy feels long when you're in it, but it's not that long. And then you have the whole rest of your life to, you know, and then if you want to get yourself back to like feeling your optimal healthy self between pregnancies, there's a period of time where you're going to want to prevent pregnancy. Right. So like my passion is, like everybody used the fertility awareness method, but it doesn't work for everyone. Like well, they just... you know, um, so I do get that a lot. I'll get people who've had post pill syndrome and they've seen how hormonal contraceptives, uh, synthetic hormonal contraceptives have affected their body, and they know that their doctor is gonna tell them to go back on a contraceptive after they have their child. So what I do is I refer to fertility awareness method people. I don't teach it. Mm -hmm. um, one, because I don't have the time, actually. But so I actually refer to the fertility awareness method and have them go in. Now, as far as as um, as far as contraceptive in the United States, you know, the most utilized form of contraception is, is actually getting something snipped. So you mm. can get tube tied. You can get um, uh, the man can get a little snip snip. Mm -hmm. um, if you're dealing with African Americans or Hispanic population, they're way more receptive to condoms because they come from a point of view that um, hormonal contraceptives do not prevent disease. So they see it very differently. Mm -hmm. So you, you look to see basically if it's a 
middle class, upper middle class white woman, highly educated, the more educated they are, the more less likely, the less likely they're going to use the pill. They're going to go for some type of surgical procedure. And so we discuss the options, but fertility awareness method is definitely one that I use. And all of these new gadgets that you can wear that measure your hormones, and I'm not even familiar with all of them, but mm -hmm. there are groups in Richmond or here that are. And so that's what I do. I just say, here's a card. See if this works for you. Go to this educator. They'll teach you all about the technology that's out there. That's that's out there available. But I will tell people, you know, it's time to get your tubes tied if you feel comfortable with that. Um, now, what about from a Chinese medicine perspective, tubes tied and um, well, getting back to me? Well, you know, it can be a little stagnation, but. Mm -hmm. It generally, there's very few side effects. Hmm. I mean, I haven't seen any. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's good. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not um, I mean, something that I really think about a lot. So, but it, I am always wanting to find other options for people because the fertility awareness method, you know, people don't want to take their temperature, or they don't want to check their mucus or whatever, and they're, right. you know, there's nothing I can really do if you don't want to do it then. Well, remember acupuncturists at one point were surgeons, and acupuncture was the first form of surgery. From an acupuncturist point of view, surgery is definitely an option. Mm -hmm. and yeah. So it's only now here in the West that we think everything has to be done with the needles and herbs and diet and all of this stuff, but surgery is a form of medicine that you can utilize and was utilized by acupuncturists in the beginning. I mean, mm -hmm. So I haven't seen very many side effects. Now, of course, they can be because it is surgery, so there can be infection that could happen if it's not done you know, with surgery. There can be scar tissue. There can be pain. So they have to be informed of that, but it's relatively simple and effective. And it is the number one utilized form of contraception in, let me look at the group of people. Um, yeah, 18.1% of people in the United States do some type of sterilization surgery by choice. Really? Interesting. Now I might get in trouble for talking about that, but <laughs> no, I you know what I was I was visiting family in Ohio mm -hmm. a few months ago and learned of several people, several men that had had vasectomies, and I never knew how common it was, and and I I guess I don't I haven't talked to as many people. I was just thinking like I wonder if it's more common in Ohio. I don't know. I don't well, know. Look, look at to see where people watch basketball because during March Madness is always a 50% sale on vasectomies at urology clinics. So people can get their vasectomy because they have to be on the couch for a week, maybe two weeks, use the ice pack blah blah. Yeah. So it's very common come March for vasectomies to be happening. Um, they are pretty simple procedures that most times can be reversed. Now, what's funny to me is they always counsel the man beforehand on getting a vasectomy. You know, are you sure, suppose something happens to your wife, suppose you get a divorce, suppose you want another child with someone else, 
but very few times it's the woman counsels when they want to go in and get procedure like their tooth tied or something like that. So I find that doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> so, so I do always warn both the woman when I say, have your husband get a vasectomy, it's an option. And a lot of my, my straight friends have had them and they're very happy that they did. Yeah. Yeah, that's good to know that's an option. <laughs> um, anything else that you want to share about, about birth control or fertility or anything that we haven't touched on yet? Um, you know, let's get, I am not a political person at all. I don't watch news. I don't do politics, but it's become a political thing now, our reproductive health. So I'm going back to where we started is that people need to be educated on their reproductive health in order to have reproductive freedom because our options are being limited in states around our body autonomy and our fertility and pregnancy. Infant, you know, mortality rates are getting higher, sperm rates are getting lower, um, rights are being taken away. Uh, we really just need to get the education out there on body literacy and how our bodies work, because basically that's been taken away in school systems too. I mean, sex education is very limited. Mm -hmm. So for whoever is listening to this, you know, learn about how your body works, learn the phases of your menstrual cycle, learn when you ovulate, learn what affects sperm, learn what affects the eggs so that when the time comes, you can take control of your own body and do things like we're talking about naturally that will impact optimal fertility. Because um, it looks pretty bleak right now how things are are going when it comes to our reproductive freedom. Mm -hmm. Yes, it does. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you, we when we made the business of birth control, I can't tell you how many times we we were attacked from every side. We were attacked by women saying we're taking away reproductive freedom. We were attacked by churches. We were attacked by politicians. We were attacked by drug companies. Everyone saying that we were going to kill people by telling them to come off of their birth control. Or we were hurting people by telling people to go on birth control and that there were going to be abortion rates. We're going to... Every angle came after us, but no one really thought about all we're doing is educating people again, body literacy, how does your body work? That's all we are asking for in the film. Um, we're not anti any of it. It's just we are for information so that people can make an educated decision around their reproductive health. Well, I, re I listened to a uh... My teacher, Lisa, interviewed Holly, who is the author of Sweetening the Pill, um, maybe even last week or a couple of weeks ago. And she was saying that a lot of the people that she would get attacked by didn't even read the book. No. They just understand the premise of the book or think they do <laughs> and, you know, hate it. That and some of them were paid. Mm. Some of them were paid. I mean, we have... We have some um, 
people who were paid by special interest groups to come after us online and really attack us and discredit us and things like that. But as soon as they their contract was up, they let it be. I mean, it is a person's job, believe it or not. To... That is the weirdest. I didn't know that. That is bizarre. And makes me like even less trusting than I already was <laughs> of the world and the internet. And I mean, it's just, and the thing is, is that if you don't know much, you know, like this is like, I mean, we both live and breathe this stuff. It's, but to, from an outside perspective, like maybe when I was like 20, if I was like, oh, somebody's trying to take away birth control, like I would have been pissed, you know, I would have been like, I shouldn't have to be pregnant. I shouldn't have to be home, like being a mom. I'm not doing that. I'm like doing important things in the world. So like, yeah, from a feminist perspective, if you, this is such a nuanced conversation and, right. and a lot of people do not do well with nuance and <laughs> just don't, you know, want to dive into the deeper conversations about this kind of stuff and want to kind of just read the headline of the article and think they know everything. So right. I don't know what the answer is for that, but I will just keep screaming my message from the rooftop and hope somebody hears it. So. Right. And I guess that's pretty much all we can do. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I mean, and I, I, I'm going to have to rewatch the film. Um, I remember really enjoying it, but obviously, you know, like you kind of forget things. So um, I'm excited to revisit it and remember really appreciating the message of that. So if you can just share a little bit more about that at this point and then other, anything else you want to share about offerings that you have or where people can find you. So share about the film, like how you can get it. Is that what you where mean? you can get it or like even if people aren't familiar with exactly what it is I mean it sounds kind of maybe straightforward but <laughs> yeah just kind of like generally what to expect in the film so what you can expect in the film was basically the history of how birth control came about so when we when we started it was all about the side effects of of hormonal contraceptions that people didn't talk about. So it was going to be a film that that talked about the history of of birth control, hormonal birth control. And it was following these families around who lost their children because of it. So death is a side effect of hormonal contraceptives for some people. So we were following these people around and telling their stories. And in each one of them, they've lost a daughter or sister. Um, so we wanted to educate people that there are these side effects that aren't talked about with hormonal contraceptives, and here's the history of how they came to be. So you get the history of, of what happened that brought these contraceptions, these hormones, to the market, where the studies were done or where they weren't done, but it evolved over, eight, it took us eight years to film this film, and I'm glad it did because Things started changing. Like I said, in the beginning of making it, there was a lot of information that wasn't out there that became available. All of these studies on, on, contra on hormonal birth control and mood disorders and, um, again, choosing a mate, physical, mental, emotional, and, again, spiritual uh, ways that these drugs were affecting people. And then it evolved into empowerment. And there's some great voices of empowerment, such as what you do with this podcast on 
here's what you need to do. You need to learn how your body works. So over eight years, it covers that in both America, South America, Europe. Um, now, the title of it is called The Business of Birth Control. Again, it comes from The Business of Being Born, which was made 15 years ago, which, by the way, is being updated now. That's the next project. I hope I'm allowed. Oh, cool. Look forward to that. To say that. Um, but you can find the movie at The Business of Life. So www.thebusinessof.life. And you can rent it, buy it, or see some free screenings. It's recently been updated as of well, a few weeks ago. There's now an hour-long version that's going to be a European version that's going to come out. But so on that website, the business of that life is not only the film, but all of these resources and classes that people can take, such as fertility awareness method. And I'm sure you're you're um, mentor or friend is teaching some of those classes. I teach some of those classes, mm -hmm. talking about sperm in it. But that's what's coming up. We're getting ready to show at the Richmond International Film Festival. The film has been entered in September, um, the new version of the film. So we're going to be doing some podcasts soon to talk about how the film's been updated. And um, for as far as me, basically, my website is orientalmedicinespecialists.com or omspc.com. And again, or you can just Google Keith Bell Acupuncturist Richmond, Virginia. Um, what else? Sounds great. You don't do social media? I do. Oh, thank you. See, I'm really bad at this stuff. Uh, <laughs> look, I even, look, I'm going to have to do my Instagram account now to see what my name is on there. Oh, Dr. underscore Keith underscore Bell. So D-R underscore K-E-I-T-H underscore B-E-L-L. So there is social media, but you can see a lot of French Bulldogs on there because that's what I have. Cool. I mean, I think this the business of that life I'm going to go check that out for sure. Um, and I'll link all of your stuff in the show notes too. Um, so people can find it. So if they want to see your bulldogs, they can. Too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but thank you so much for being here. It was really awesome to talk with you. Um, just really excited about the work that you're doing and bringing to more of a, a public format. Um, so yeah, really appreciate that. Thank you for having me. And it's great to be here. And I love when people are excited. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with somebody that you think might benefit from hearing some of the information that was shared here today. If you're interested in finding more about me, you can find me on my website at rosebudwellness.com, on Instagram at rosebud underscore wellness, or on Facebook at the Rosebud Wellness Community. Also, if you're feeling called to leave a, a rating or writing a review, that would be amazing. It really helps to get the podcast out to more listeners. Thanks so much for listening and until next time.